0: People have found a way to sell you the dream of being an entrepreneur, which mm. is crap, you know, like don't fall into that. Don't think, you know, I'm going to start a business, go on Instagram and everybody's going to buy my product.
1: G'day and welcome to the Syrian Podcast. My name is Ninos Kanna, and while my maiden episode 105 was with Ogurul, a man I had recently met, today's second edition, being episode 113, features a chat with an old friend. Born in Sydney, his childhood could be characterized as an almanac of the Assyrian community in Australia. Having a prominent and controversial bishop as his uncle, the family business being the first call for many Assyrian migrants, as well as extensive family involvement in church and civic committees. So, in light of his upbringing, would a career in service to the Assyrian communities be on the cards? Service to the church, perhaps? Indeed, he's been involved with the community, but it was actually the flickering numbers and head-spinning pace of the share market that beckoned for Peter to issue. Always one for self-development and self-belief. Peter took to a job that he couldn't explain to his grandma, and turned himself into a nationally recognised figure for explaining financial news and other market inanities to television viewers around Australia. Feeling satisfaction from the fruit of his own endeavours, Peter started his own business in 2015 and continues running a real estate investment firm today, connecting real estate investors with brand new properties. We chat about his career, but also talk about the role his family and the Assyrian community played in shaping his views. Listening to his story prompted questions about how and why people start businesses, with a pretty refreshing perspective from Peter about what can be observed as startup or entrepreneurial culture. At the end emerges a very positive message for young Assyrian diaspora. Look, it was great to be face-to-face with Peter, at his work, in his podcast studio for this episode, but with my mask on, of course. I'd like to take this time to say, whether you're listening to this while driving, exercising, at work, or at home, please stay safe, and thanks for listening. So, before we get to this week's interview, if this is the first time you're listening to the Assyrian Podcast, or haven't done so yet, we would love for you to subscribe. You can do this however you're listening to us. We'd also love for you to rate and review us wherever you listen. Also, in every Assyrian is a story. Look, if you know someone who should be on the podcast, please reach out to us you can find more information about nominating future guests on our website. Lastly, the Assyrian Podcast is brought to you by Tony Kalagarakos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois and New York. For listeners based in the United States, if you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Kalagarakos. Tony has been recognized as a Top 40 Lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication. He has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at InjuryRides.com or telephone 847-982-9516. And now for Peter Rishul. Please enjoy. Peter Racho, uh, welcome to the Assyrian Podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, so we are in an interesting room. We are at your workplace, and I see uh, padded walls. Uh, and we are not in a cell. We are in specially made uh, podcast studio.
0: Mm, very
1: nice. Yeah, uh, this is part of your workplace. So tell us what you do for work for for you to have a podcast studio.
0: Well, it's not mine. Uh, it's in a shared building, so our business shares this space with other businesses, and. The podcasting studio has become a normal amenity for many businesses because this is a format that's growing in popularity and I guess every business today also has a media division. So what we do for work, guys, I'm a co-founder in a business called Wealthy. Uh, Wealthy is a real estate investment platform. And put very simply, we help connect real estate investors with real estate investments.
1: Interesting. So that is what new properties or old properties or what is that
0: so we tend to stick to brand new property and what we do is we take people on a journey regardless of where they are so whether they're starting out or they're more advanced we help connect them with the right investment so it's very different to buying a home to live in we look at it purely as an investment and so usually when you're starting out we believe that it's better to buy something brand new because in countries like Australia there are tax advantages and it makes a lot of sense but if you're an advanced investor we you know we help connect you with the right type of debt deal to invest in and all that fun stuff
1: before i continue i'm just gonna make an announcement that this is not an advertisement or paid <laughs> i'm just here to talk with peter escher peter i've known you for a very long time mm-hmm. in the Assyrian community in sydney and i however <laughs> our, our viewers don't uh, are not familiar with you or listeners rather Tell us a bit about your background and and where were you born and where where did you spend
0: your childhood? So my parents were born in Iraq. They migrated here together with a lot of other Assyrian families that were leaving Iraq during the 70s and 80s. They decided to come to Sydney, Australia eventually, you know, through different avenues. And I was born here. So I was born in 1984 in Wetherill Park which is a very popular Assyrian area. But my childhood was a little bit unique. My father used to work in banking and investments. And so when I was four years old, we went back to Kuwait. Wow. Um, So I spent a year and a half there. And the reason why we came back was because the 91 Gulf War broke out. Right. So then we migrated back permanently to Sydney, Australia. I then started school, which is where I met you, King Park Public School. And since then, I've grown up in Sydney, Australia, predominantly the western suburbs of Sydney and been very in touch with the Assyrian community.
1: You could have been a Kuwaiti Assyrian.
0: Yeah, it could have been a Kuwaiti. If Iraq had improved, we could have (laughs) moved back to Iraq. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows where we could have ended up. But, you know, thank God Australia has been a beautiful country for us and for our people. And this is our home.
1: Sure, indeed. You were very... Your your family has has been quite prominent in the Assyrian community.
0: Yeah, definitely. Prominent is an interesting word choice, but let's stick with it.
1: (laughs) Well, how would you describe it?
0: Yeah, prominent, prominent, I guess, is fair. My father has been, you know, my father together with, you know, your parents and that generation that came in at very, they were very young. So they came in and were assimilated into the Assyrian community here and, and they were you know, amongst the, the builders of this community. So they tended to know everybody and everybody tended to know them. Yeah. Um, my father was also, after coming back from Kuwait, you know, moving your family, young family and going through war and my father's career was disrupted a little bit and, you know, he What was, was the, your father's career? So my father actually, when my dad came over, he he didn't have a chance to finish university unlike many other Assyrians that tended to go into university, his family left and he came here and he's, you know, started working in factories and then he worked his way into banking. He wanted to go into banking and he started literally as a teller. And then he he had a love for financial markets and so he started trading foreign exchange. And so in 1984, when Australia decided to float their currency, he was one of the few foreign exchange dealers and then, he went to Kuwait and was working at a Kuwaiti bank trading. But, you know, after the war, when we came back and there was a lot of to and fro and his family was young, he decided that he wanted some stability, he was going to stay here. So he got into business with his brothers and they built a business in Fairfield, mm-hmm. um, which was an electronics business. Mm. And so I guess my family is prominent because when a lot of the refugees started coming from Iraq after the first Gulf War, a lot of them came, they were displaced refugees, they had nothing. And, you know, we were an Assyrian family with a business in the heart of Fairfields. Mm-hmm. And my dad and his brothers tried their best to help that community settle in and stabilize. And my dad was also part of the church. Um, my mother's side is, is also prominent. So her brother's a, a bishop, who was a bishop of the Assyrian Church of the East. And so, together with that and our love for the community and interaction with the community, we became quite embedded in, and quite involved in the community while growing up. There's two things to unpack
1: here. The first is your family has has seen you know waves of Assyrian migration in Fairfield. What are some observations you've made about various waves, and what what have you seen as, as perhaps even a constant about Assyrian migration into Fairfield?
0: Well, first, it's very sad um, to have seen our people leave their homeland gradually over a long period of time i think when our parents came out they didn't envisage the mass migration they always saw themselves as pioneers and at some point you know building a better future and hopefully iraq and and iran and syria would improve and they'd go back but it tended to get worse and worse and didn't get better and to this day it hasn't got better and Mm. so i think for me it's it's been a little bit of a sad experience but i'm also very very grateful in that I was, I was aware of who my community was and the vulnerabilities of my community and also the success stories because one of the things as Assyrians, I think, which we can talk about later, is we lack at times because we've had such trauma in our culture, we lack confidence, but it's great to see you know people that we saw them coming as migrants today, very very successful in their own rights and their children growing up and doing great things. So it's been it's been a mixed, um, it's been sad, but there's hope in in, in everything. Sure, sure. Church, Yep. <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> you know it's it's such a
1: uh, it's such a big part of the Assyrian experience and. Yeah. and whether you love it or whether you hate it, there's uh, everyone's got a view and everyone has a certain experience and everyone has, you know, comes out of that church experience with different views and different experiences. So, you've been quite close to the
0: church. Yep, I love my church. I'm born proudly, born and baptized in the Assyrian Church of the East. Um, that's my mother church. I still consider it my mother church. And I was close to the church and close to all the church clergy um, parishioners because my uncle was a bishop in the church. And so my uncle, Marbawe Esoru who a lot of people will probably have heard of and heard different things, um, was really a rock in our family for our faith. And, you know, I remember growing up, church, going to church with my mum on Sundays, seeing you there because i know you also grew up in in a faithful family um it was part of our childhood it was part of our identity it was part of our love and passion and who we are and i think like all Assyrians, regardless of your faith or your beliefs at some point you know you grow up into adulthood and you're enlightened and your thoughts and ideas and your philosophy changes and i'm no different to that but um, my love and passion is for my church and today while well, my theology and my spirituality has changed and evolved just because I have different views and I have a different perspective it doesn't mean I doesn't I don't love my church and the parishioners of the church because the church at the end of the day is a collection of people uh, and these are my people and I love them.
1: That's interesting Peter so tell us why
0: it, does, does this imply you've left the church based on what you, you've just said? Not necessarily, and I think this is one of the big misconceptions. We we are born and raised with faith that's handed down from our parents, but as adults, our faith evolves. And just because, so I'll talk through my experience and I'll lay it out for those that don't know me and sort of where my thoughts are as I grew up and as I started to understand my faith. Um, I also saw, I also looked at history and church history, um, and I love that. And I wanted, for me, enlightenment education is very, very important. Um, And so my faith, my faith evolved. I started to go to other churches. I got married, um, met a beautiful woman. And so um, my faith evolved. And today I am, this is the the way I describe myself. I'm proudly Assyrian, but I resonate with the Catholic faith. And I attend the Maronite rite, the Chaldean rite. And while I don't go and celebrate service at the Assyrian Church of the East, doesn't mean I don't love my church. I don't respect its sacraments and its leaders. And mm. there was a whole period of time where uh, there was some unrest, uh, but I think we've all matured and moved on. And so that was an eye-opening experience for me. And today, you know, that's the best way I can articulate it certainly was eye-opening and I do remember uh,
1: a shared experience when we had the, um, we were behind the microphone as well, Yeah. about what, 12 years ago now?
0: Yep, 2000 hmm. and... Um, it was 2007. 2007, yeah, yeah. time flies. <laughs> That's right, and <laughs> now we were quite young and we wanted to, one, one of the, look, Let's let's talk about some of the 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 reasons why our faith our personal faith or my personal faith evolved is i love my church and i love everything that it stands for and the language and the authenticity of the Assyrian church of the east but i think an area that i found where uh, i found how can i put this without offending anybody but i found somewhat of a void is doctrinal development so if you have a look at society you know we have all types of issues abortion, euthanasia, same-sex attraction, gambling, divorce. Um, there are so many issues, drug use, that the Assyrian people um, and members of the Assyrian or the Eastern churches have today. And I think there's, there's room for the church not just to, to build buildings and to preach and have a beautiful liturgy, which we do. We have all those things, but I think what a lot of people are crying out for today is direction from the church to teach on these issues and for doctrine and virtual fertilization, for example. What is the church's stance on that and what does the church believe? And so I found in I found in the Catholic Church and the Catholic, uh, Eastern rites of the Catholic Church that there's a lot more consistency. There's a body of explanation and understanding and it's articulated in that you know, there's a view on abortion and that view on abortion is articulated. Now, you may or may not agree with that, but at least you know where the church stands. And so that's what appealed to me as my faith evolved and matured. I see, I see.
1: One could argue, and to take the other point, the, the other side of that, yep. um, rather than to be dogmatic towards uh, one church in particular, one could argue that one of the appeals of an Eastern church is that it's still largely universalist. It's not... It's not beholden or it hasn't been corrupted by um, Western concepts. Mm. In light of that, could it also be valid that a church doesn't have doctrinal doctrinal views about these issues, which
0: could be seen as really Western topics? Look, maybe, but if you have a look at at, at the history of our church and the Church of the East and the different rites that we have, we were... You know, if you go back to um, the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages, we were thought leaders. You know, our church was a pioneer in championing a lot of the Eastern rites. And if you have a look at our liturgy, every time we go to Qurbana, Qadisha, and you listen, um, and you know, our Taksa and our Riza is very, very, were very, very advanced at their times. And so while Western culture and Western ideals can corrupt, I agree with you, I think the Eastern Churches that are in the Catholic Church the Eastern rites are preserved and they're beautiful and I only learned that as I got involved and you know I started to study for myself and so the Chaldean rite the Maronite rite they maintain their traditions and and they maintain their taqsa and their liturgy and their clergy and their practices but they what I call benefit from the fullness of faith, because today I'm a proud Atoraya. However, I'm also a proud Australian and I live in Australian society and Mm -hmm. my children are Australian. And so, you know, while the the traditions are beautiful, there are also other needs and requirements. Mm. Um, And so I find that balance fulfilling.
1: Sure, sure. The other question I wanted to ask and going back to your experience with Assyrians and you did say we'll talk about this later about some of the about some of the weaknesses and and strengths of of Assyrians can we start with the strengths actually Mm. that's a great place to start what do you see
0: as something great about the Assyrian community in your experience so I think we're blessed at times not having a country is often a curse, but I think it's also a blessing in disguise because while we don't have a piece of land that we can point to and we say, you know, that is our country, what mm. we do have is we have a lot of identity and pride, have a lot of love for each other. So I love being able to walk down a street in central Sydney and see someone that looks a Syrian.
1: See my face mask with (laughs) Lamasu
0: on it. (laughs) That's right. See a Lamasu or an Assyrian flag or an Assyrian name. I took my children to tutoring in eastern Sydney in a very Australian suburb, um, a very Jewish suburb. And... You know, I took my children inside and I was standing outside and I peered through the glass and I saw a dentist and on the wall there was a surname Moshi. And I was like, wow, I felt really, really proud. And mm. if, if any other nationality, if you see Salvatore or you see Kauci or you see whatever, you don't have that sense of pride. But I think what we as Assyrians have is we have a connection Ah, uh, to each other, we have a love for one another. Despite you know, despite what you hear in that Assyrians can sometimes bicker and be jealous and whatever. I find overall, uh, we're proud of each other. We have a proud history. Um, we have a connection that's very, very unique that I don't find in other cultures.
1: What is the string that holds us together? What is the essential attribute of being Assyrian?
0: I think we're underdogs. We've been persecuted. We've been punched in the face, and we've been battered and. We, we can all resonate with that we, f- we feel sorry, feel a sense of despair and we also have a and we have that because we, we do feel sorrowful because we have such a rich history. okay so when you walk into a museum and you see Assyrians and every time you speak to someone that's enlightened or educated in business, they're like, oh wow Assyrians, you guys have been around for thousands of years and you're like yes. So because we know the potential and because we know that, I believe that we are just as capable as anybody else in society. Mm-hmm. Yet th- things have gone against us. And so I don't know exactly what it is, but it's there. You just know when you meet a stranger and they're a Syrian and that smile that comes on your face or that sense of pride or that excitement, I don't know what it is, but it's there and it's awesome and I love it. Community. Exactly. That's That's perfectly articulated. Yeah. It happened to me, I
1: I was at uh, the airport and I wanted to uh, park my car somewhere for a week and I I get to the garage, it was a a private parking facility, and the person that runs it, I just gave the keys and and it was just a standard transaction. And then I saw in the background, I saw uh, Lamaso Mm. and I just said to him, and then (laughs) He's like, and he had a thick, uh, he had a thick Jyadaya accent. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, wow. Awesome. It's nice,
0: right? Yeah.
1: He wanted to give me a discount, but yeah. I refused. Yeah. Because why should I get a discount? Because I'm a Syrian.
0: It's a gesture of goodwill that's there because we're very hospitable and we love, again, I think we really, really love each other. Yeah. And I think our generation is probably because we're educated differently and we've assimilated, we're able to articulate and Communicate and express our differences a little bit better than our parents and our grandparents. Sure. And so it's nice to you know have have that that development in our community.
1: What would 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 that be if we were if I was to move on to weaknesses now? Would would that be regarded as a weakness in in the community?
0: Yeah, I think we sell ourselves short. So one of the things. I always used to hear is that you know we we're always finding excuses for why we are not capable of doing extraordinary things however if I if you look at it we can achieve we have the capability and, and we, we don't lack education we don't lack enlightenment we don't lack values or history. Or kindness to each other what we lack is self-belief and that's understandable because we come from a recent history hasn't been kind to us recent history has disappointed us mm-hmm. however you know as as you you know in, in boxing the more punches you take the stronger you become and the better you know the more tactical you can become and so sure. i think let's not sell ourselves short because today and in the future is a bright future for Assyrians we've got all the tools that any other culture and nationality has and we've got a beautiful history where we're unique and we're connected and you know having a format like this for example is great there's no excuse for what we can't achieve what we set out to achieve
1: absolutely absolutely it's so important to have to take to make the most of, of the opportunities that we have in this society in these countries for me it's education Mm. And it's absolutely vital and very important. And I'm I'm glad, you know. And education can mean
0: a lot of different things. So while, you know, academic education was what many of our parents were, the the form of education that was in Iraq or Iran or in Syria was you either go to the military or you go to university. And Mm -hmm. university was a form of education. But today you don't necessarily have to, if you can go to university and get tertiary qualified, excellent. But you can pick up your phone and, and listen to any podcast on any topic right around the world. And education has become democratized and, yeah, there's no excuse for us. Mm. Uh, but but we have to, in our culture, have a sense of self-belief.
1: Masyanech. Mm. We've uh, gone through a number of journeys together. One of them was in our careers. And we began in the share market. Mm. and i do remember when i graduated from university and you were working with with a company a well-known company and i started working there with you and but our careers took a bit of a separate turn after a few years as they do with, with many people tell us a bit about why the share market
0: we were, we were quite lucky, I guess, to have been influenced. I know you were influenced by your uncle and your father's family and, and I was also influenced um, in that way and we just saw it as a means to improve and get involved and put you know, our thoughts and ideas in, into use. And you, you know what's interesting is when we met, I remember when we met and I actually, first job I got was because an Assyrian guy referred me and reached out to me that I met at university and then we connected and then, you know, we built this sort of Assyrian group mm-hmm. uh, within our friendship mm-hmm. and, and stuff. And then, you know, my career changed and, and I found myself in a different situation. One of the things I want to talk about in this podcast, I want to share an experience that I haven't shared with many others in that eventually um, I started getting really involved in uh, financial commentary and going on TV. Yeah, And so I'd go on TV, national broadcaster, like many other people do. Talk about markets, but I, f- I was so so pumped because while going on TV is good for business and everything else, I love being able to represent the Assyrian community. Right. Um, so I remember one day I used to go on ABC News early in the morning, and by the way, ABC is the national broadcaster in Australia. Yeah, and I used to go on seven thirty AM, so I'd have to wake up at six o'clock. And and one day I woke up and my children were young and my wife said to me why, why are you doing this you know and i said i have to do it for my people and she you know <laughs> she, she rolled her <laughs> eyes but i legitimately yeah. you know i legitimately loved representing my community because every time um you know every weekend my mom would say huh gzeli flango tv yeah. you know gzeli flango go, go um supermarket or it brought a sense of pride to my parents, but it also brought a sense of pride to my community. Not that they can boast in me, but they know that Assyrians are capable. Assyrians are capable of going and representing and being a voice. And if a boy from Fairfield that isn't as well articulated as others and has a basic education can do that, imagine what the other Assyrians can do. And so I I believe that the best way for us to lead is to lead by example. Right. You know, as as we do well, we become a reference point and a source of encouragement for other Assyrians. And I know you have been involved in scholarship committees and, you know, looking at empowering people. And and I think that's very, very important. So any opportunity that we can get to represent our people, let's do it and let's wear it as a badge of pride.
1: When was the first opportunity you were on TV?
0: So I sort of... (laughs) Got into it uh, 2000 and to, at 2011, I'd been working in the same company, US company. Yes. It's based in Chicago, a lot of Assyrians there. Oh, yes. Um, We've been there for about six and a half years and I got really bored and stale and an opportunity came up and they said, hey, we want someone to be the analyst in our team, but we want you to sort of go on TV and, you know, be the public face mm-hmm. and, and sort of splash the brand. And I was like, let's do it. You know, I'm, I'm no, no stranger to talking. Uh, yeah so 2011 got out started doing a lot of sky news business you know all the business channels sort of started doing more mainstream television 2013 2015 opportunities beget opportunities it seems put yourself out there man and you know you do a good job and if you're a nice person and you treat people nicely they reward that there's no magic formula it's just doing the work
1: yep yep absolutely the markets right now Coronavirus. Do you still look at the share markets?
0: I do, but I look at it less, um, and I think that's that's helped me become a better investor. Mm-hmm. So I look at the stock market maybe on a fortnightly or a weekly basis. Yeah, I read commentary. I see what all the smart people are doing. Right, and I humble myself and I try to, I try to see long term patterns, mm. uh, and I turn to really really smart people like you and ask them questions. Um, I was going to say, who is smart? <laughs> Smart is is someone that knows their facts, but mm-hmm. is humble and genuine enough to admit what they don't know.
1: Right? Do you have a couple of names? Do you have a couple of blogs that you read? So if you I, want to share, if you're interested in investing,
0: <laughs> I think the best way is is to read company reports. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to buy stocks in Apple, for example, read the Apple annual report mm-hmm. and read about the products, about their customers, understand the business. Mm-hmm. And then there's other services like Morningstar, Motley Fool, Yahoo Finance. Twitter's Twitter's a bit of a um, a hit and miss. You can get a lot of different opinions, mm. but I think you know investing is very very simple. Invest in really good businesses or buy you know the best quality real estate that you can and hold it for the long term. Yeah, the, the, they're the golden rules, and it's not that it's not too difficult outside of that.
1: Yep. I've heard investing is 10% economics, 10% accounting and 80% common sense. That's right. <laughs>
0: Get the common sense right and you're 80% there. And
1: you're 80% there, yeah. <laughs> that's good. And real estate, what prompted you to to look at real estate as vis-a-vis share market?
0: So that's a really, really good question. I remember talking to my grandmother and trying to... You know, and she couldn't understand it. That 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 is... That is a, a, prop, a, a thing that you
1: and I and everyone who's worked in finance experiences. Yeah. What do you do? And you,
0: you can't explain it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So she couldn't understand it. And to me, that was, you know, that was, okay, grandma doesn't know she hasn't been to school. But there's also something beautiful in that. In that mm. it's too new. It's too different. I love real estate because real estate has been around for a very long period of time. People have been buying and selling real estate since, you know, uh, since since the world began. Also, what happened is I married somebody, uh, came from a science background, quite artistic, quite visual. I was very analytical, um, you know, very alpha male, very analytical. And so when we sat down, when we got married and decided how we would manage money and finances together, I've just found real estate was a common ground that we could both agree on. And she felt very uncomfortable with investing in stocks. Sure. And real estate works. So I found that every time I went and purchased something over the long term, it did quite well where I had more of an impulsive nature when it came to stocks and I couldn't discipline myself to Why is that? for the long term. It is because personal reasons and there's also external reasons. I think personal reasons is, I don't know, God created me in a certain way where I get bored very easily And I'm always trying to achieve and do different things. And that's just my nature. um, There's also external factors like electronic trading. So you can sit down today and on your phone trade any market around the world with the click of a button. Mm -hmm. Whereas during our parents' generation, you'd get the stock market prices and the newspaper every day or every week. And you have to pick up a phone and talk to somebody if you wanted to buy or sell shares. So... Those two things combined, you know, my nature and the external factors made it something that was difficult for me because long. Uh, the best share market investors are long-term investors.
1: Indeed, indeed. That's very interesting, Peter. I'm not sarcastic when I say that. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> I'm really not. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in your experiences around starting a business and investing and what are the lessons you took from... From being an investor and watching people invest, and how did you apply it to your own life? And the question is, my question is for you to to, to go out and start your own business. Yeah. Where from the golden straitjacket of a high-paying job is very very difficult when you've got nothing yep. and you want to start a business. It's simple because you've got nothing. Exactly. But when you're on a really nice
0: salary, comfortable. And you want to go and start a business? It's the hardest thing you can do. It is so. Oh, you're a hundred percent, and it's very hard to shift from the um, from employment to starting a business. Starting a business sounds fantastic, um, and we both from come from families where. You know, we, we had parents that were running their own businesses. Um, and so I guess we were less naive because we saw, you know, how difficult it is. Mm-hmm. I started my business in 2015 when I had three children under three. And I had a lot of debt around my investment properties. Um, I had a really good job and it was probably the worst time, but the worst time is usually the best time. So I think if we go back, and I can provide a source of encouragement for anybody thinking about, you know, business or career move or or whatever it is just backing yourself into a situation where you're advancing i remember i always wanted to go into business and the reason why i went into stocks and investments is because i grew up in a family business Mm -hmm. and so when you grow up your dad's your hero Mm -hmm. um your family your uncles are your heroes and And I always wanted to start my own business as a way to contribute and to express my creativity because I think every business owner is creative in their own way and they want to leave their mark and their legacy and they just want to manifest it through a business. So I think it it all starts, it's always important to do the right thing. So, And what I mean by that is when I was working as an employee, I was always working harder. You know, I wasn't necessarily being paid more, but I put into place the work ethic that would help me advance in my career. And then advancement in career uh, is important because as you advance, you make more money, you build better, you get into a better company and you learn more. And then when you're making more money, you can invest and you can build assets for yourself. And so when it comes to the point where you want to leave and start your own business, if you've learned a lot, if you've saved a bit of money, if you've invested it, it's always easier than not. So uh, I, I was very fortunate that when I started my business, I had three children under three and, you know, young family and everything else, but I knew what my plan was and I had learnt a lot and I had somewhat created a situation where I had a safety net. I wasn't sinking from day one. And so for anybody listening to this, thinking about starting their own business, You don't have to start today but you can start strategizing and planning today for the future. And then I learned business wasn't easy. Uh, The first five years of business were very hard and if that's of interest, I I don't mind sharing my experiences there.
1: Wasn't it hard leaving that salary?
0: Yeah, it was very hard because – but it also it's very fulfilling because I remember the first – amount of money I made in my business was a lot less than what my, what my salary would have been, but it was so fulfilling that I went out and I managed to do it. So it's like baby steps. Mm. Forget about trying to be the next Elon Musk straight away or the next Steve jobs. Think about being, you know, if if you can start a business and, and run your life of it, that's a massive, massive achievement because most people can't do that. And so it's scary because you don't have that certainty, but it's also liberating at times. And every time you let go of something that's there, um, you always find another opportunity around the corner. And the way I rationalized it to my wife was, look, I'm young, I'm healthy, God's blessed us with everything we have. We're in a beautiful country. We have all the opportunities. If it doesn't work out, I can always go back to getting a job.
1: Yep. That's the. Was that the fallback?
0: That, that was the fallback I spoke of, <laughs> <laughs> but in my mind there was no fallback. It was make it, make it work.
1: The other thing about you know going out there and starting your own business, especially if you're someone already established in a in a career, what the hell are you going to do as an idea? Like, what's what's the what's the business idea?
0: I think you have to do what you like, uh, and I think you have to do what you love, and you know business. Business is, is it's trial and error, and with business, there's a formula that works, right? There's no mystery to it. It's not luck. It's not chance. It's, it's about being disciplined and running little different experiments until you find the thing that works, and so you have to be able to fail, to get things wrong, to start quickly, to try a, a lot of things. And when, when a lot of things don't work in your favor because they won't, you know, if, if at the beginning you have to, you have to really try and get rejected and try to sell something and people tell you no, and you look like a fool and and if you're doing what you love, it's easier because you've got passion to Mm -hmm. keep going. So if you're a fitness person and you're in the fitness industry. And you're trying a different ways of developing a personal training business or whatever. You don't mind being rejected because it's what you love. You go to the gym the next day and you work out. And too many people, too many people try to start a business with the perfect commercialization model. Yeah. So I'm a DJ. I love DJing, but you can't make money from it, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's wrong. You're a DJ. You love entertaining. You like pleasing people. You like, you know, that, that thing. Let me try different ways. To, to to turn this into a business to achieve my goals. Right. So I think take what you love doing. Me personally, I remember being the kid at, you know, weddings, engagements where I'd pick up a video camera uh, and I'd always be the kid that was filming somehow. So right. I had an artistic side to me and I had a side that I loved, you know, expressing uh, art in my own way. And so to me, businesses are just a way to combine the th- different things that I love. hmm together and make a life out of it and also most important thing you have to genuinely help somebody because if you can't help somebody if your business isn't helping anybody nobody's going to pay you and people pay you when you're helping them and you're solving problems for them
1: right that's right and that brings me to the next part about business if I was just to make an observation about contemporary culture you know people have different words for it how to describe this, but certainly we've seen a, a fetish fetishization or some sort of a you know real reverence for the entrepreneur, mm. especially you know coming out of the u s and and I guess you know it's it's very much a contemporary thing perhaps in the last ten years you know the sanctity of of the startup and all that with regard to that how important is it to actually do the right thing
0: it's the most important thing and the reason why it's been glorified is because the job market has been disrupted. So the stability because there's been a lot less job stability in the past 20 or 30 years, because of the way that economies and in capitalism have evolved and people have found a way to sell you the dream of being an entrepreneur, which is mm. crap, you know, like don't fall into that. Don't think, you know, I'm going to start a business, go on Instagram and everybody's going to buy my product. Right. No, the, 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 the if you can go and be an employee uh, and do an excellent job and help people that is a very noble thing to do Mm. you know if you can go and work for the government and help the government allocate its resources better and you know have integrity in what you do and an advancement and provide for your family that's a very noble thing to do you don't have to go and start your own side hustle but if you think you can't express yourself or you don't fit into an organisation, then a business might be an opportunity for you to create a working arrangement. Right. You know, so then if you don't fit in and you're in conflict and you have ideas that you want to express, you know, go into that. So business and 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 doing well commercially doesn't have to be in the form of an enterprise that's your own. Right. You can express yourself in different ways, and as Assyrians, I think where we do well is when we where we find our place and we network and we start helping each other mm-hmm. because your investments are also a business. Mm-hmm. If if you're not driven by money, your charitable works, you can treat as a business. You know, if to me it's about helping my church and it gives me you know I'm go- it gives me some sense of self satisfaction to see my church build a school or build a retirement village. I don't, might not need 10 investment properties or a business that's making $5 million a year. But if I'm going to contribute and that's my sense of self-fulfillment, then go and express yourself and your creativity in that way.
1: Right. How else is a good way to help Assyrians? I mean, obviously, you know, arms is, is one uh, avenue. But is there also a case to be made for dealing with Assyrians? Assyrians are the best
0: people to deal with. Why? So when I started my business, it was a new business. It was a real estate investment business. And and, and my customers were all Assyrians. And people used to say to me, I'm going to say this because you've probably heard it, but Assyrians aren't good customers. They always complain. They're, They're a pain in the neck to deal with. And that was false. Assyrians are the most beautiful people to deal with for these reasons. One, we have community and we have connection. Two, we have a sense of trust with each other. Assyrian businesses struggle with Assyrian clients because your your client will treat you in the way you project yourself. So if you're unorganized, you're not strategic, you're not polite, you're not courteous. You're not going to expect your customer to treat you with respect. Mm-hmm. So if you want an Assyrian person, customer to treat you like they treat nahray like Nahraya, have a look at what the Nahraya is doing and the way that they've organized their business. You can't have a half-assed business and expect an Assyrian to treat you like they would treat a, a Fortune 500 company just because you're Assyrian. Right, so let's bring the standard up and expect from others the w- the way we project ourselves. Right, two Assyrians are never short of helping out, and you know it, it's. W- I remember when I w- started studying marketing. You know, Seth Godin was one of my um, marketing mentors. He's a big professor in New York, and he talks about selling to a tribe. And your tribe, when you're starting a business, you're really setting up and starting a tribe. And Assyrians were very tribal. Right one of our biggest problems is that we're, we have tribalism in us <laughs> right so yeah. whether it's a Jilwaya or a Tiaraya yeah. so go to your tribe if they know you and they love you and they trust you why wouldn't you work with them
1: but our tribe being the Assyrian community regardless of Exactly your, yeah
0: we are our own tribe yeah. within within cities so to me it's a no brainer it's you, it, it's dumb not to be you know dealing and doing business with Assyrians
1: Right yeah, I absolutely agree. And it helps our nation as well. Like it helps our community when people are doing business with each other.
0: Yeah, because it's our own Assyrian economy. So exactly. So we, we don't have our own state economy where we're trading with each other in a certain parcel of land, but we've got all these micro economies mm-hmm. right around the world. And, um, you know, when, when I'm employing an Assyrian labourer and he's coming back to me to buy my goods and services, that's what an economy is, exactly. right? Exactly.
1: And and that's right. But where does it go to? I mean, what objectives would an Assyrian economy lead to in your opinion?
0: So an objective of an Assyrian, I think the way I think about the future of Assyrians is that I look at my children and God's blessed me with three children. And, you know, we, we have different ideologies and we have different thoughts and ideas of what Assyrians look like into the future. And, Some of that is Lishana, you know, but to me, it's beyond Lishana. Lishana is a method of communication and it's beautiful and it's ancient and it's rich. However, being Assyrian and the Assyrian identity can go beyond Lishana. I think we have to think about, you know, we are Assyrians and our parents are Assyrians in a certain generation. Okay, so my mom, when I think Assyrian, I think my mom. But my mum is, is one person in a history of, of four and a half more, 7,000 years, yep. you know, 8,000 years. Yep. And so being a Syrian has always evolved. A Syrian identity is about being proud of your culture and your heritage and um, your traditions. And there's an awesome story. So my daughter Sophia last year, I was, I was so proud of this because she goes to a school where most people are Australian and the teacher asked them, you know, talk about your heritage And she wrote down, Assyrian, I'm Assyrian. And her teacher came and corrected her and said, "Uh, that's not right, that's Syrian. So she came home that night and she said to me, dad, the teacher said I'm not Assyrian. She said, that's wrong, that should be Syrian. And I said, so what do you think? And she said, well, she's not right because I've seen videos of Assyrians that you show me on YouTube. (laughs) So we sat down and I made her write an email to the teacher educating the teacher on who Assyrians are. And the teacher wrote back and said, Hi, Sophia, thank you so much. I've learned something new. Thank you for clarifying it to me. So Sophia, being eight years old, has taught her teacher that what Assyrians are, that to me, that is a hope for the future. Sophia might not speak sort of as well as you and I would or might not practice her Assyrianism like my mom, but she's Assyrian. right.
1: Yeah, absolutely,
0: and and what a way to um, form her
1: identity, her etuata.
0: Yeah, and who knows where that will go? This is what we can give to yeah. to to our next generation. But let's not be let's not be so pessimistic. Lishana dola telqto so layatlaqano has sureta. No, you can yatlaqano has suraya even in lishana layatlaq. Yeah, doesn't matter. There's no rule book. That's right. right. And and what I know is that if we've been around for so long, there's something in that. Yeah. Because we're not the first generation to have uh, met such adversity. Right. How do we know what, what they've gone through in previous generations? Correct. So let's not be so depressed and so pessimistic and so single-mindedness in that Assyrian, the Assyrian name and the Assyrian tradition and identity can't continue. Mm,
1: mm, very true. Peter... I just wanted to ask, and it's something that it's a signature question for all uh, guests of the Assyrian podcast. It's very simple. The microphone's open. If you have a message for our listeners, what would it be? What would you like to say?
0: Uh, I think I'd like to say that let's be really, really optimistic about the future. Let's try to work and network and and help each other. Our future as Assyrians is bright because we are blessed to be living most of us in countries that are progressive and enlightened and safe and secure and for our brothers and sisters who are not let's be a beacon of hope and not a beacon of adversity so one i'm very mindful of the future two let's respect each other for our diversity of opinions so one thing i hear in the Assyrian community that i don't like is we don't we don't have to be That is unite. Yeah. For those that don't know what that word is. That is unite, you know. So we're like, oh, we're not united and we have so many, but our diversity is our beauty. Okay, so I'm a Syrian born and bred Assyrian Church of the East. I married a Syriac Orthodox mm-hmm. uh, woman and I practice in a Chaldean Catholic Rite. That doesn't make me any less Assyrian than you or, 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 or she. Mm. So just because we have a certain political affiliation, a certain religious, uh, a certain whatever it is, right, however we express ourselves, we don't have to unite in every single thing to be there or united, right. we can be different and be united in our cause. Yep. And three, let's let's set our ambitions high because the the Assyrian podcast, for example, what this is now more than a hundred. Episodes Absolutely. in the bag, right? Yeah,
1: 130, I think.
0: And this is a perfect example of somebody that had a thought and idea to help their community. And yeah. today it's manifesting in listeners all around the world. Did you hear that, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> Doing an awesome job, Steve. I remember when it first started, I was so proud. And let's all try to think of our own creative ways to contribute to the Assyrian community and to our future because there's every bit of opportunity. So hopefully. I haven't waffled too much, no. um, and that's all. that all makes sense. <laughs> Peter Ishu, thank you very much for joining us on the Assyrian Podcast. Thank you for having me. God bless you all.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast. If you haven't done so yet, we would love for you to subscribe to the podcast. You can do this however you're listening to us. We'd also love for you to rate and review us wherever you listen. Until next week, goodbye and stay safe.